ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. It is a chilly Friday afternoon uh, here in Tampa, Florida. And I am really pleased to introduce our guest for today, Lisa Larder. And Lisa has written a really amazing book uh, about entrepreneurship, and it's called Pilot to Profit. And Lisa was just sharing with me before we got on the air about uh, the amazing results that she has had in the last two weeks uh, of launching this book. And it really is a testament to what she's talking about in this book, which is navigating modern entrepreneurship to build your business using online marketing, social media, content marketing, and sales. Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be here, Chicky. I really appreciate it. Well, uh, this is really my favorite part of the whole week, so I'm so glad that you were available to join us today. Lisa, we always like to start off the show uh, really letting our listeners get to know you as as an individual before we talk about you as author and speaker and social media strategist. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, I grew up in Canada, and I was raised by a single mom, so I have a huge uh, passion and and big heart, a lot of respect for women who raise kids all on their own. I am a dog lover. I have two miniature wire-haired dachshunds. I've been with my husband for 20 years. I love to read. I love to spend quiet time on my own. I love to travel. What else can I tell you? Mm. Well, why don't why don't you tell us the story that that led up to writing this book? This is your first book, is that correct? It's my first book. Yes, it is. Great. It is. Well, I, I you know, I know we have a lot of aspiring authors in in the audience, and you know, many of us have uh, more than one book uh, that is is kind of lurking inside of us that that uh, just hasn't gotten out yet. So, tell us how this book got into the hands of a publisher? Well, I have known for a very long time that I wanted to write a book. And I didn't just want to write a book. I want to be the type of author that writes a book every year and continues to add value and thought leadership through writing. But I really struggled with where to start. And a number of years ago, I hired somebody to try to help me write my book in between running my business. And I invested a significant amount of money and ended up with not a very good outcome. And when that happened, I kind of withdrew a little bit and gave up on the book idea and didn't really feel good about it. And then someone I know reached out to me and said, you really need to write a book. And I had a conversation with her about how she could help me to do that. And I hired her as my book coach. And that was in June of 2014. And so together we worked on you know, taking my proprietary system around how I teach my clients to navigate modern entrepreneurship, to really build their business and integrate all the different online and social things that they need. And I created an outline for this book. And 
I just started the book and she referred me to a publisher. And when the publisher had a conversation with me and took a look at my reach on social media and what I was doing in my business, they were instantly interested in working with me on the book. And so it all started off really, really great and really exciting. But then when you're writing a book, what happens is resistance sets in. You start to second guess yourself. You start to wonder if your book is good enough. Are you really going to make a difference? Are people going to read it? I'm a big, (laughs) big, big reader and books have changed my life. So I really went through a period of needing to get my inside game aligned with my outside game so that I could finish this book and bring it to market. And so in January of 2015, I finished the manuscript. I sent it off to the editor. We did a few rounds of edits back and forth. And by March of last year, I had uh, submitted my final manuscript to the publisher. And then we started, you know, the the layout and cover process. And so where did the title come from? I have worked in the corporate world for a number of years. And Anytime you do something inside of a big corporation, you run a pilot before you do Mm. a rollout. And so I'm a big believer in piloting things and testing things to see if they work before I roll them out at large for my community. And when I first started my online business, so to speak, I was somebody who really taught people how to use social media. I was, I would be what I would call a button pusher. I would show you how to use Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And one day I was in the shower and I had this idea that, you know, people really needed to understand how to run their business. They needed to understand the numbers in their business and distribution channels for their business, all the stuff that I used to do in the corporate world. And so I got out of the shower and I wrote down my ideas and I posted something on Facebook and said that I was going to offer a program called the Pilot Project to teach people these eight things 140 people bought that program so that was my first (laughs) and you hadn't even written it yet right you hadn't even written it yet (laughs) and it was it was the first program and so then I went from the pilot project to the content pilot and then the sales pilot and then you know I, I kind of sprinkled social media training on top of that because I believe that you need a solid business foundation before you should be attracting people to your business because if you don't have a solid foundation and you don't know how to sell, it's all going to backfire. Amen to that. (laughs) Each of these pilot courses ended up being wildly successful. And I've had over a thousand people go through these courses now. And I just decided that that was the inspiration for the book is really taking the work that I had done and helping people put it all together so that they could generate uh, more sales and profits in their business. Oh, I absolutely love it, Lisa. But I I have to tell you a funny story because uh, I've got a a fabulous producer, uh, Patty Brinkman, and Patty uh, is really the one, uh, for the most part, to find the authors that end up being on our show. Occasionally, you know, I'll I'll run across someone and I'll I'll shoot it off to her or someone will reach out to me. But more often than not, she's just finding them. And then all of a sudden I get it on my calendar and she'll tell me. And when I got your book, I half expected you to have a, a pilot's 
hat on. I thought you were like a, an airline pilot that was taking your knowledge from, you know, flying an airplane and talking about profitable uh, business. And and so, uh, you know, it, it was funny then to get this and to find out that, no, that wasn't your background. But I'm now even more excited. And uh, mo- most people who listen to our show regularly know that I don't always get a chance to read the whole book uh, before the interview. And, um, you know, those interviews that uh, that are really intriguing, I will actually sit down and read the whole book after the interview um, because the exploration that we go through together is a little bit like uh, the audio cliff notes of a book, if you will. So that that's yeah. the structure of the Solutions Live show that we do for the Executive Girlfriends Group. And um, our, our audience for this show is largely executive women, although since we do broadcast out over Blog Talk Radio and we have an iTunes channel, I will tell you I'm quite sure that we have a number of men who also listen to this show. <laughs> so um, anyway, let's dive right into the book um, because I am now super intrigued because I just I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur on the technical side in that that I build technical solutions. Mm-hmm. And I've been a strategic consultant for 20 years. So I've been the one out, you know, helping people figure out what to do. And then when I saw people not actually or the companies I was working with, you know, they would nod to the ideas and nod to the concepts. But when it came down to actually executing against some of the ideas I had for them about differentiating, they just never did it. So I, I went out and built the technology myself. And in December, I actually took a pause in the business because we had done a pilot um, uh, last summer, and it didn't go as as well as I would have liked. And so now – I feel like this book and this interview is so perfectly timed just for me. Now I know our (laughs) listeners uh, are also saying the same thing, but I am excited to talk about the profit principles and, again, to get in a little bit more to what is a successful pilot and how does that work. So let's dive right in. Uh, You start out talking about being an accidental entrepreneur. Would you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I you know, in the book, I talk about my childhood, and I was raised by a single mom, and I wanted designer jeans, and my mom couldn't afford them, and she told me that if I wanted those jeans, I would have to go out and find a way to make money, and so I ended up selling things at the flea market and learning at the age of 12 how to make money to get the things that I wanted in life, and that entrepreneurial spirit has carried over into everything that I have done, mm-hmm. but what, what happens with most people is you have an idea that could be a good idea for a business and you become an entrepreneur by accident because you just kind of take the spark of idea to see if it's going to work. You might not know anything about the business of running a business, but when your idea takes off and things start to move, you almost feel like it all happens by accident. And so (laughs) a lot of times people's mindsets get in the way, right? They think, well, I'm not really a business person, and they self-sabotage and prevent themselves from being really successful because they think everybody else really had it together when they started their business and that they're the only ones who found themselves in this situation by accident. Right, 
Right. Well, you you then go on to talk in Chapter 1 about the first sale is always to yourself. And, you know, again, it's really, really interesting that you start that way because I also invest in other early-stage companies. And one of my clients, um, you know, I've just joined her board, and, you know, she's wanting me to write some documents to help her do crowd uh, fundraising. Mm -hmm. And I realized as I was writing it that I still wasn't, completely convinced, right? I, I needed that first sale to be to me in writing these documents and, and really knowing how, how to make the message resonate, right? And you talk about how when you start a business, it can be messy and confusing, but it's also rewarding and fun. Um, but you really do have to craft that story. So, you know, maybe, maybe you can share some of, some of the experiences that led up to that being your first chapter. Well, I, you know, I, I had this idea for my business when I started consulting and I had put together some pricing about working with a client and I had pretty much broken my time into a half day or a full day option. And I had listed a bunch of outcomes that the client could expect. And then I asked a colleague of mine what she thought. And when I showed her what I had put together and what I was going to charge, her response to me was, well, I think you should probably be charging half that if you want to get any business in this city. And it really kind of ticked me off because I felt like my time and knowledge was what I was charging. And so I realized that in that moment, if I didn't believe in myself, who else was going to believe in me? If I didn't believe that what I was selling was a value, then how would I transfer that belief to someone else? And over and over and over again, I see business owners who don't believe in their value. And until you really believe that what you are doing and what you are offering is valuable, useful, and beneficial for other people, you will struggle with asking for the money. And so I believe that first sale always has to be to you. You have to buy in to the fact that what you're doing is good. Just like marketing my book, I had to own that this is a really good book. Because right. if I don't believe it's a really good book, how do I transfer that passion for what I have put together to somebody else? Well, and you know one of the interesting things about that and uh, yesterday, I actually went on a sales call with uh, the company who I'm trying to help them raise money, and it was the. F- I realized I've been working with them for three years, but this was the first time I ever actually heard the business owner tell the story. Mm. Right? I mean, we've been crafting the story for a long time, and I also heard the response of a client. And in in this pause that I've just taken in my own business. Um, one of my advisors told me, you know, you really have to get out of your office and talk to clients. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was clearly thinking about my own business. But on the way back from this client meeting yesterday, all of a sudden everything was crystal clear and and I was sold, right? So, uh, you know, I so believe what you're saying that that you you need to have no no fear, no um, yeah, I mean, you really have to have this clarity that can only come from that, of, of really talking to people and finding out what they have to say, right? And that mm-hmm. is sometimes painful. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And sadly, a lot of people do not believe in themselves. And because they don't believe in themselves, it affects everything else that they're doing in their business and sets them up for failure instead of success. Well, clearly. And, and you know, and I'm sure you run into this in your consulting. Um, when you have a really good idea, you know, some people – and you talk about the accidental entrepreneur, some people realize early on that they are really best managing the product or managing the sales activity, and they aren't necessarily the right person to be the president and CEO mm -hmm. of a company. And and I, I think that's one of the reasons why businesses fail is because the entrepreneur does try to be everything to everybody, mm -hmm. right? And And so sometimes if you go through that, clarity process that you describe in chapter one, um, maybe you are totally sold on the product or the service, but not yourself, um, mm -hmm. then maybe you ought to pause and think, well, maybe I need a partner that can be that person who can do all those things that I'm not good at and let me focus on what I'm great at and what I'm passionate about, right? Yeah. People, people try to bootstrap their business though. Because it was an accident. It wasn't by design. And then when they realize that they need to invest in skills or they need to invest in resources to help them, they pull back. When I opened my first business, my first full-time business, I opened a bricks-and-mortar retail store in the wireless industry. And I invested several hundred thousand dollars oh, wow. to open that business. So my mindset around investing while still managing cash flow and profitability is very different than the average person who's never had any exposure to measuring what matters in business. Exactly. Well, and, and that kind of leads into chapter two where you talk about your money mindset. And, and I'm just going to read the, the uh, description of this chapter because I think it's really poignant here. Money is a funny thing. You start a business to earn more of it, and then because of your beliefs, you may find you do many things to repel the very act of earning a good living. Your mindset and your mindset around money is a key part of starting out. And I, I saw a post on, on Facebook that was going around uh, that said, entrepreneurs are the only people who work 90 hours mm -hmm. a week to keep from working for somebody else. Exactly. And half of them do it for free. <laughs> exactly. So so the money mindset, um, how how do you get a hold of of what things might be holding you back? Because what you've talked here is about repelling the act of earning a good li mm -hmm. living. How do we self-sabotage like that? Why would we do that? Well, a lot of it stems from our beliefs about money from when we're children. You know, we're taught money is the root of all evil. People with money don't care about you. We're not like those people. Money doesn't grow on trees. And so our attitudes are shaped by the way that we grow up thinking about money. And those attitudes impact how we feel. And our feelings dictate how we act. So if I feel small and inferior asking somebody, to pay me $10,000 for a keynote, I'm not going to come across very strong and confident in the way that I portray myself. Exactly. I know that sometimes what I see people do is they almost apologize for the fee and try to talk the customer out of spending the money because their mindset is so poor in terms of you know, how positioning themselves to present the products and services. 
I used to see this all the time in my retail store selling technology because uh, cellular phones, you can, if you're buying a contract on your phone, you can pretty find something in the store for free. But if you're buying, you know, the, the largest, newest phone with the biggest amount of capacity for storage, it's going to cost you a few hundred dollars to get in the game with that phone. Right. Well, the interesting thing is that the sales associates would always try to sell the $0 phone because these are sales associates who are typically making just over minimum wage and they can't fathom spending that kind of money on a piece of hardware. So they project their feelings and biases about money onto someone else. And so it's really important that you pay attention to your own thoughts and behavior around money. When I first started my consulting business, I invested in working with a coach. I paid $1,000 for an hour of her time. And I did that because I wanted to know, well, what does one get for $1,000 in an hour? And all of a sudden when I saw that the way that she approached coaching was really not any better than the way I approach coaching, maybe not even as good as how I approach coaching and consulting, I realized that the only thing preventing me from charging that kind of money was myself, was my own belief in the value that I give to the client. So your money mindset is a really, really, really tricky thing. And I think it's really important that you pay attention to how you feel about money, your attachment to what people will or won't pay, the stories you tell yourself about your pricing, uh, and you know even your own uh, tendencies to order the cheapest thing on the menu, for example. <laughs> Those are all clues around your money mindset. Right. Right. Well, I, I think we could talk about that probably for an hour because I, as you're talking, I am, I am seeing my own behaviors. And I'll just share a, a quick story here, because when I started consulting, uh, there was a woman uh, out in Napa Valley, California, that that I got together with, and she had been consulting for some period of time. And I said, you know, Lauren, what should I be charging? And at the time, I was charging eight hundred dollars a day. Right, and and she pretty quickly told me the same kind of story that you just did, right? And that you have to be able to say two thousand dollars a day with a straight face, and then three thousand dollars. And you know what? On the consulting side, I had no problem with that, and I, I actually published a, a number of books that were written specifically for my industry, uh, which I highly recommend. It, you know, if not a book, a white paper, a blog. Uh, so that you can actually see how much you really know. And I've got to tell you, after I wrote my first book, um, and I happen to be an expert on global travel distribution of all things, but I wrote a book about the three companies uh, in that industry. And, you know, I, I worked on it probably for nine months. And when I was done, I got on the airplane with the, the published copy of that book, and I read it cover to cover, and I could not believe I had written it you know, mm -hmm. and how much I really knew. And it was then that I was willing to charge three, four, five, six, and even $7,000 a day for my time. So, uh, you know, but it's funny, my behavior now with my technology company, I think of myself in that same place that you were talking about, of apologizing for the fact that there's an upfront fee mm -hmm. or, you know, and 
getting myself into that place. So let, let's move on, though, and talk about the business model, because if you don't understand your costs and you don't understand what is happening in the market, you know, is what you're doing unique or is it a commodity, um, you know, you really never can get to understand what the price should be. So mm-hmm. how did you go from a 12-year-old selling at a flea market, uh, you know, to understanding what you need uh, in, in the big, bad business world? Well, I was a high school dropout, and I started working in retail when I dropped out of high school at the age of 18, and I was a really good salesperson. And so I quickly got promoted through the ranks of salesperson to senior salesperson to assistant manager to store manager and area manager, operations manager, all those things, because I was able to lead and inspire people and generate results. But in 1997, I was recruited by Clearnet, which is a telecommunications company in Canada that was later acquired by Talus. And I was one of six people they hired to open one of their retail stores. I then became one of three people who was responsible for opening 31 more stores across Canada. And when you work for a technology-based company and you work with really smart people, you start to learn, especially in startup business like that was at the time, exactly what they do to grow and build the business. When they were acquired by Telus in 2000, the company sold for $6.6 billion. And I really believe that they were my playground. They were my sandbox Mm. for learning how a big business creates really great results and success. And so when I left in 2006 to open my own retail store, it was a safe move for me. It was a lateral move because I was, a, I was managing retail on a national scope and I was responsible for $100 million and I walked away to open my own independently owned location. And although it was exciting the first year, what I realized is I had a lot of skills and knowledge about building a business and thinking about business that other people didn't have. And I knew that when I started doing this, that I needed to have a scalable model, that I needed to have a way to generate income passively, I needed to have a way to leverage my time, and I needed to have a way to work with people one-on-one so I could perfect my methodology. And I wouldn't have known to do that had I not had the experience that I had from working for this big organization with such really smart people. Right. Right, absolutely. So you already touched on uh, measuring uh, mm-hmm. and knowing what your metrics are uh, in the business, and that's what Chapter 4 talks about. Um, and, you know, clearly you have to make a profit in order to stay in business, and mm-hmm. you have to know those things that are really going to move the needle. And, you know, you may have multiple product lines, but one of them may be your superstar and one may be a dog, right? But it's mm-hmm. the lead-in, uh, you know, to get people on the superstar product. So talk to us a little bit about measurement and metrics. Well, I believe that numbers don't lie, and you can't build a business on a wish and a prayer. You you don't go into business to trade four quarters to make a dollar. You go into business to generate a profit. And when you understand how to measure and interpret metrics in your business, the metrics give you feedback and help you to know what to do more of and what to do less of. Business owners don't manage their sales reporting 
on a regular basis. I measure my sales reporting on a weekly basis, month to date, and compare it to last year and the year before that and the year before that so that I always know where my business is in terms of revenue generation. I also am fanatical about managing cash flow because when I opened my store and I had to buy all this inventory, I understood income and I understood expense, but I didn't understand and management and movement of money. <laughs> and so although I was doing great with sales, I never had any money in the bank because everything that came in went out. I couldn't keep money. And one day I got this bill from Telus saying that I owed them $100,000 for inventory. I didn't have $100,000. Right. And so that was a big aha moment for me. I realized that I had a cash flow problem. And that the only way to get my business under control was to go from being $30,000 in my credit line to having $30,000 in the bank. And so I became obsessive about learning how to track cash flow. And I think that that is a really, really important number for people to track and measure. Otherwise, you end up at the end of the year without any money and not understanding why. And then the tax man comes calling and you don't think that you should owe money for taxes because you didn't think you made a profit, but really you did. So measuring sales, measuring cash flow, measuring traffic, either to your bricks and mortar business or measuring traffic to your website, understanding your conversion rate. A lot of people are trying to build their list online today. One of the things that I always look at with my client is what is the average cost of the subscriber on your list or what is the average revenue generated by the subscriber on your list? Exactly. When you slice and dice the numbers, it gives you data that you can then use and apply to your strategy to get more of what you want and less of what you don't want. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about content. Uh, the whole mm -hmm. second part of your book is about content. Uh, you know, I, I suppose we probably need to step back and define what content means because it, it has a different connotation for different people. Uh, so why don't you introduce that topic? Sure. Content to me is the way people find your business online. So when you go to Google and you type a couple of words into the Google search engine, Google serves up a bunch of different options for you. When you click on a link, it is someone's content or copy on that particular website that has brought you and it has put you on the first page of Google and is now pulling that person who is looking for that information to you. So I believe that the content you create on your website, whether it's the content that tells people what you do and how you do it, or whether it's blog content that you're creating to share your thought leadership or to share how your products and services work, that content is what allows people to find you. It allows people to know more about you. It allows you to market your content through different distribution channels. It allows you to convert people from lookers to buyers. And it establishes your credibility. If you don't have a website and you don't have content, I'm going to think that you're not relevant. So your content is really all about demonstrating what you do and how you do it in your business so that you can establish credibility with a potential buyer. Right. Well, and uh, it's so interesting. This this particular topic is one that's near and dear to my heart because I, I help early stage companies and in particular finding capital, right? Because mm -hmm. 
back to our early conversation about bootstrapping, you can choose to bootstrap and own 100%, but I guarantee you that the path to profitability is way longer, right? Mm-hmm. And and sometimes giving up a piece of your business, um, you know, it, it feels painful and, and you give up some level of control. But uh, you can move much faster. And and so one of the places where I always tell folks that they need to have a presence is a site called Crunchbase, which is usually used for publicly traded companies or companies that have done their, um, you know, their external fundraising using an investment bank. But as an early stage entrepreneur, you create your presence there and, and it actually makes you look like you're much further along than you might actually be. Um, but helping helping entrepreneurs understand that and how you know they may love LinkedIn and spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and not spend a lot of time on the other social media platforms. But I tell you what, they're they're all important to at least pay attention to make sure that the message is consistent across the platforms. Right. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about email because you know we we have shifted as a social online culture. I mean, now online has been around and 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 really is quite mature. Fifteen years, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, twenty years, uh, we have been online as most businesses. And, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but my email box is so flooded with mm-hmm. junk um, yeah. and even even good junk. I mean, certainly there's clearly spam that doesn't belong there at all. But um, I, I regularly get emails that are not relevant to me. So you talk in this next chapter about communicating effectively via email, building a solid community, and then creating compelling offers for them. Um, what's the secret sauce there? The secret sauce are the first 90 characters of everything you write, 30 characters in your subject line and the 60 characters that people see in the preview of your email, because that's what we scan to determine whether or not the email is junk, whether it's deletable, whether it's forgettable or whether we want to know more. And so you're right. People are inundated with email. I probably have thousands of unread emails right now. People add me to their email list without permission, and I've got to unsubscribe from things all the time. In order for email marketing to work, the title, the subject line, and the first two lines that lead into what you're sending have got to be valuable. And again, you have got to establish credibility, meaning that when you mail things, you mail things that people look forward to reading. You want to do such a good job that if your regular mailing on, say, a Thursday doesn't go out, somebody's hunting you down to find out where it is. (laughs) When that happens, you know that you're making a difference. But when you're just sending information out that really isn't valuable, useful, or memorable to people, and you're not making good use of the first 90 characters, you're missing huge opportunities to connect and communicate with the people who are interested in what you do. And I think it's just really important that you are super respectful of being in their inbox and you do everything possible to make it easy for them to decide whether or not they're interested in what you're mailing today. Excellent. So the next section, you you take that uh, one step further in talking about selling on social media and communicating. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once you 
have got your storytelling down once you can be concise in your communication and you know again you you you've sold yourself on on what you're selling um now you're ready to move into selling on social media and mm-hmm. you know the interesting thing here and I'm going to kind of combine a couple of chapters here and have you uh, address them together so chapter 7 is about selling on social media and chapter 8 is right behind it saying don't be everywhere on social media. So tell me about that because it sounds contradictory. <laughs> well, I believe that you people buy from people they know, like and trust. And if you're going to use social media as a gateway to your products and services, you need to invest time, energy and effort in connecting and building relationships and nurturing those relationships with people. And I believe that you can't do that everywhere and still run your business. So you need to be strategic around which social channels are the right ones for you. Pick the ones that you enjoy the most where your ideal client hangs out and spend the majority of your time there. Prioritize your time and do everything you can to forge those connections and build relationships in those places rather than just be everywhere. So I'll give you an example. I do a really good job on Facebook. I've got all kinds of systems around how I use Facebook so that the people that matter most to me, some of my highest level clients are always top of mind. I use Facebook groups to build community. I've just written this book. It's been a wild success for a first time book. And I've got about 2,000 people in this community called Profit Primer, and I posted a little note in the group the other day, and I said, who wants to write a book this year? I had a whole bunch of people answer that question. A couple days later, I said, I'm thinking about a Write With Me program to write my next book where I walk you through step-by-step how I wrote my book. Who might be interested in that? All of a sudden, I get all these comments and emails from people saying, I want to know about your program. I don't know what you're doing. I'm not hard selling anything. I'm asking. I'm asking and I'm pre-selling what I'm going to do before I've even started. I am testing the waters in my community to see what they're interested in. And I give so much value to these people on a regular basis that when I say I'm doing something, they want to support me. That's how you sell on social media without being salesy. I love that. I love that. You know, and what you're describing works super well when you are have a services offering. So you're talking about training programs and consulting programs, etc. Yeah. Does it work as well when you're selling a product? Yes. I mean absolutely. I realize that services are a product, but but physical products. I believe it does. I, I mean I've done a lot of consulting work with retailers and shopping centers where, you know, we've used social media and social media ads to drive traffic and to talk about products that are available, and it's worked exceptionally well. So I think brands need to build relationships with their communities too, and they can do the same thing in terms of establishing community and likability using uh, Facebook and Facebook ads to help convert people who are interested in what they're doing into buyers. Great, great. I've won awards with the ICR. My clients have won multiple awards with the ICSCs, which is the International Council of Shopping Centers, for work that we have done using social media to drive traffic into shopping centers and increase sales per square footage. So I know it works there, too, because I've done it, and I've seen them get the results. Oh, that's excellent. 
That's excellent. So the next chapter, you are talking about marketing, and you have a model that you call SWIFT, and, and that's mm-hmm. with two eyes. So why mm-hmm. don't you tell us a little bit about the SWIFT model? Sure. So everybody logs into social media, and the first thing they do is they go see what's in it for me. You know, we are conditioned to be a WIFM society. What's in it for me? Who sent me a message? Who's commented on my post? Who wants to be connected to me? And SWIFT is the opposite way of thinking of that. When you start to see what's in it for them, instead of always looking at what's in it for you, then you start to really build value within your community and attract more people to what it is you're doing. So SWIFT stands for see what's in it for them. And for me, I'm always conscious of what can I do for my community? What's in it for them if I'm going to launch a Write With Me program? What's in it for them if I'm going to bring this product to market? What's in it for them if I do a Periscope or a video on this particular piece of information? I'm always trying to stretch my mindset to see how does this benefit the other person. Mm-hmm. Lisa, that makes so much sense. And you know, I'm I'm thinking as you're as you're talking back to the whole issue of being an accidental entrepreneur. And one of the things I think that frightens entrepreneurs the most. So they they've got a passion about a product, a service, a solution, um, and somebody says, uh, you know, oh, you you ought to do that for a living, right? <laughs> whatever yeah. it is, you know, you make great pies or <laughs> whatever. Um, Section four, I think, is probably the most important section of this book for that person Mm -hmm. because what they don't often know how to do is how to sell. sell. And Mm -hmm. you talked about being a natural salesperson even back at the flea market. Mm -hmm. So how do you teach people how to sell when they are not a natural salesperson? You teach them a system. And I teach them a system in the book that I have taught retail sales associates, young and old, for a number of years. And when you teach them the system and they understand the steps that go into making a sale, you can then massage the system and adapt it for whatever it is that you're doing. But we have a lot of people out there running businesses that have no formal sales training and wishing is a form of selling. That would be me. Sorry? I said that would be me. (laughs) (laughs) And so when you actually teach people the structure of how to sell, it's like you've given them the recipe. So the first time you cook a turkey, you follow the recipe. You find out what temperature should I cook it at, how long should I cook it, how long should it set, how do I season it, what, you know, how often do I baste it. You go get all the information so that you can follow the steps 1 through 10 to cook a perfect turkey. The next time you cook a turkey, you do the same thing. And the time after that, you look at it again to refresh your memory. But after that, you kind of know that it's at 325 and, you know, it's probably going to take about four to five hours depending on the size. And you start to modify the recipe based on what you know and what you've experienced. Maybe the recipe, it was a little bit dry last time, so you're not going to leave it as long. That's what selling is about. You need the recipe, the system that's going to walk you through step-by-step how to do it, and then you can massage it and start to adapt it so that it feels comfortable for you. 
And it sounds like that also leads into your conclusion of the book, which, uh, again, you uh, told us about this at the very beginning, which was the pilot project. And I know we could probably spend an hour just on this. Um, but what you're saying here is that knowledge only gets you so far and that you've got to be able to apply that knowledge. So you can sit and look at the recipe for turkey and even the beautiful pictures on recipes.com all day long. But if you never go buy the turkey and try it, right, you're never going to get the results and enjoy it. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I know certainly for myself and, and likely for many people who are listening to this show today, um, they are ready to take their business to the next level. And you say that the pilot project is the first step in that. Absolutely. I've taken the pilot project, the content pilot, and the sales pilot, and I've combined it together into a success system that people can use to really walk them through everything they know to integrate modern marketing with successful strategy to get sales and profits in their business today. And lots of people have done it and lots of people have gotten results. So I believe that business owners today need to condition themselves to invest in their growth and learning. They need to pay attention to their behavior. If you are not good with self-study, then you need to hire a business coach, somebody to walk you through and help you. But the fastest way to get from A to B in your business is to invest in learning how to get there faster. You know, I can get from Canada to Florida walking, but it's going to take me a long time. <laughs> I can drive and it's going to take me a few days, or I can get on a plane and I can get there really fast. It's no different than that. You need to figure out what's the best way to get you from where you are to where you want to be. And if you plan on walking, it's going to take you a long time and you might end up tired and run over on the way. Right, exactly. Well, Lisa, this has been so great, and you know, I just love how you've walked us through the book. It, it just—I'm uh, now really excited to dive into this book, and I am definitely going to sit with pen in hand and put notes in the margins. And uh, you may be hearing from me again uh, of asking more about some of this. But you know, I know our our listeners would love to be able to find out more about you, and fortunately, you've got a really super easy name and your website is your name lisalarder.com is that the best way for them to reach you yes absolutely they can go to lisalarder.com you'll see the book right on the home page of my website right now and if you want to learn about that program you can go to lisalarder.com forward slash p2p and uh, if you want to join me on facebook you can find me in a group called profit karma Love it. And you've got those links right on your site. And you also write a blog. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, oh, I see, you also got your, your speaker um, button here. So if they if they uh, have a an event and they would like for you to speak, they can mm. contact you directly there, correct? Correct. Well, terrific. Lisa, uh, if, if there were one thing that you wanted to say to our listeners um, about actually getting this done getting off the dime and you know going from your idea from that pilot all the way through building a profitable business can you encapsulate just just a, a closing thought for our listeners you're far more capable than you believe and everyone who's created something successful was scared when they took the first step 
But if you never take the first step, you'll never know how capable you really are. Hmm. Lisa, thank you so, so much. And again, it's lisalarder.com. And the book we've been talking about is Pilot to Profit, Navigating Modern Entrepreneurship to Build Your Business Using Online Marketing, Social Media, Content Marketing, and Sales. Lisa, have a terrific weekend. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And for those of you who would like to learn more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. Again, thank you so much. You can learn more about our membership there. And we also have a private Facebook uh, page, just Executive Girlfriends Group. And then we also have a public Facebook group that where our shows are posted. So thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.